don't know what we'd ever do. If we ever got rid of the hymn books, the preachers at this church would be in trouble. Because the hymn books are the perfect size to prop your Bible up on. <laughs> Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for so many good things that we have to celebrate. For the Lord Jesus died in our place and raised to new life. For the Spirit being poured out upon us, empowering us to live to please you. And for the call that you make on our lives to join you in bringing about the salvation of the world. We ask this morning, Father, you would fill our hearts with joy and with peace and with dedication and with courage as we look the term ahead, as we think about our evangelism. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good news for hesitant evangelists. Now look, evangelism is usually hard work. I don't know if that's been your experience. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes prayer, it quite often takes tears. Whether it's the wife who spends decades praying for and gently seeking to win over her husband, whether it's the the school friend who spends the years of high school badgering his mates and teasing them and inviting them to youth group and inviting the church and trying to share the gospel with them and even then after school keeping in touch in order to share Jesus. Whether it's the nephew who every family gathering makes a beeline for that same uncle to pick up the discussion once again and to keep arguing about Jesus. Whether it's the neighbour who throws street parties every year and pours themselves out in love to share Jesus with their neighbours. Whatever the situation, everything in between, evangelism is usually a matter of years and quite often a whole lot of tears. It's hard work. So today, as kind of we're on the cusp of our term too, our our term of evangelism, of mission, of sharing Jesus, I wanted to stop and do something a little bit different. We're not going to work through one passage in quite the same way, but I wanted to share some good news for hesitant evangelists. Now look, let me point out the start, Christians are all evangelists. Don't, don't Don't get put off by the big word, I don't know, evangelist, I don't know if it conjures up pictures in your head of a a corner preacher on a soapbox, having a go at people or special people, right? There's, there's some people in church who are set aside as the evangelists. What if I just change the word? People who share good news. That's an evangelist. Someone who shares good news. If you're anything like me, you can't wait to share good news. Oh, have you heard the thing that happened, so-and-so, the team that won, the, oh, the score was amazing. Did you hear about the, the... You can't wait to share good news. Christians have the best news. We, we hold in our hands, in, in our hearts and in our minds, the greatest news the world has ever heard. The news that sin is dealt with, that death has been defeated, that eternity is assured. I mean, is there anything better than that? Well, actually, there is something better, that all of that is freely available and you can have it. That's what we have. Every Christian is called to be an evangelist, to be somebody who shares the good news. But I understand that many of us will be hesitant. And maybe for different reasons, right? Maybe you're hesitant because you have. You have shared the news over and over and over again, maybe to the same person for years and years and years, and it's just gotten a bit awkward, to be honest, because I keep bringing it up and they keep saying no. Maybe you're hesitant because you're a new Christian 
and you're not quite sure how to get the words that are in your heart and in your head and you're not quite sure how to get them out of your mouth. What, what do I actually say to someone? Maybe you're hesitant because you're scared. You've, you've never done it. You've never actually told somebody else about your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're hesitant because you really love your friends. You don't want to lose them. It feels like talking about Jesus is just going to turn them off. Or maybe you're not hesitant, okay? Maybe you're here today and you are absolutely on fire and just sharing the gospel. Well, today's for you too. Good news for hesitant evangelists. Here we go. I've got six points and we're going to work through a number of Bible passages. So can I encourage you, have your Bible open. We're in Romans 10 is where we're going to start, but we're going to go a few different places from there. Uh, and if you've got an outline, you'll have noticed this week, I gave you a little fill in the blanks just to keep you entertained. Right, that'll keep the brain switched on and, uh, and, and eager to hear what the next one is. If you don't have one, there's a few down the back, there's a few down the front, you can grab one of those. Here's the first thing that I want to encourage you with. Christian, we have everything needed for salvation. You already have it. You already have. If you are a Christian, if you have enough for yourself to be a Christian, then you have enough for anybody. Come and have a look again at Romans chapter 10, that first little bit that was read from us, going from the second half of verse 8. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says... Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek. The same Lord is the Lord of all who richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that wonderful? It, it, it's so simple. It's so easy. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, come to Jesus and say, help. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you are a particular ethnic group, if you're from a particular socioeconomic background, right? It doesn't matter if you are, uh, speak English or not. The language is irrelevant. It's the same gospel for everybody. It's the same salvation. You believe in your heart that Jesus rules the world. You confess with your lips. You live it out that he has been raised to new life. And salvation is yours Sure and certain, not put to shame. Do you notice the outcome? Righteousness, the right standing with God, salvation, the consequences of our sin dealt with. Are you a Christian? Are you somebody who has received this salvation? Are you somebody who has the righteousness of God? I take it you received it because you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You confess with your lips that God raised him from the dead. Then you have everything that is needed for salvation. You have it all. Isn't that good news? We don't need complicated systems. And Look, I'm all for gospel tracts and gospel presentation methods. Two ways to live is brilliant. There's, there's all sorts of powerful tools that we can use, but at its heart, what we need is Jesus. And if you've put your trust in him, then you have all you need. But it is also then what we must share. 
It's what we need, it's what other people need. It is the way of salvation. Here's the second bit of good news. God's action plan is us. <laughs> now, it is good news, honestly. Let me show you how, but we'll see, right? You've got the good news of Jesus, okay? Jesus died for sin, he was raised to new life. You can find salvation there. How is that message going to go out into the world? God's action plan is us. Come to the second half there of Romans 10. How can they call on Jesus if they haven't believed in Him? And how can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Just just replace that word preacher. I think we just automatically put the person up the front in that category. How can they hear without a speaker? How can they hear without somebody telling them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The news of Jesus, the message, the word is what saves. You hear that Jesus has died for your sins. You accept that word and respond to it rightly. You receive salvation and righteousness. So how can they believe if they haven't heard it? How are they going to hear unless someone speaks? God's action plan is us. God sends us to take that message to others. I want you to stop and to think for a moment about people in your life, particularly people who don't know Jesus. I'll give you 30 seconds just to have a little think through. The people, they they might be close to you, friends, neighbours, close family. They might be a little bit more removed, acquaintances, work colleagues. who, Who in your life doesn't know Jesus yet? I hope you can think of at least one person. I wonder, has it ever occurred to you that that person might not know any other Christians? They might not know anybody else who could have beautiful feet and tell them of Jesus. The 2016 census, the the new data hasn't quite come out yet, but the 2016 census, if you're generous, around about a third of Australians say that there are some sort of Christian. One in three. Now, that's, that's pretty good. If that, if that is true, I, that's amazing. Um, how many of them are Bible-believing, church-attending, committed Christians? I, I, right, that's beside the point. But let's just run with that number for a moment. That means that two in three aren't. Two out of three of your neighbours, right? So if you've got one on this side, one on this side, and one across the road, right? if you're going by the statistics, one of them's Christian, that means two of them aren't. Two out of three of your family members, right? You, you pick them, the ones you don't like the least, right? It's just whichever. One in three is a believer, two in three aren't. You, you, you people at school, at work, your baristas, right? If you happen to attend three different coffee shops, I don't know why you would, but let's say you do for a moment, right? One of your baristas, Christian, the other two aren't. God's action plan to reach them with the gospel is you. It might seem a little bit foolish on God's part, if, if, if I can be permitted for a moment. Does he know what we're like? What do you mean we are his action plan? We're a bunch of weak, can't really speak good, 
foolish people really wear his plan? We are so weak. And you know what? That's the third bit of good news. Our weakness is the point. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's just the next book in your Bible. It's, it's almost a little aside that Paul has, but I love it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 17. As I read this out, I want you just to be pondering, where does the power lie? Where's the power in this passage? 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says, Christ didn't send me to baptise but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. It's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent, where is the one who is wise? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's, where's the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world didn't know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. The Jews ask for signs, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Paul, like, we're talking about Paul here, right? The bloke who just wander into cities and rock up to like the smartest people around and debate with them and they'd all become Christian. Some of them, a few didn't, but... The guy who saw new churches planted throughout the entire known world of the... Like, Paul! And he says, a bit of a buffoon. And didn't speak particularly well. In fact, the point was that I didn't speak particularly well because the power didn't lie in me. And it never has. The power lies in God, in the cross... I mean, we preach a message that is so bizarre. Come and find salvation as the God of the universe dies. What? It is foolishness. And yet it is so incredibly wise. It's God's wisdom, it's not ours. Our weakness is the point. Verse 24, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Out of all of the ways that God could have chosen to communicate salvation, God could have done any number of things, couldn't he? He, he could have done the, the direct brain implant, matrix style, like, I know Kung Fu, right? Like, he could have done it that for anyone. He could, have, he could have sent his angels. Even now, he could have angels on every street corner visibly proclaiming to the world, Jesus is Lord, repent and believe, right? He, he could do that. There's nothing stopping him. What did he choose? You, <laughs> me, weak, foolish, with, with faltering words and incomplete ideas. And he did that on purpose, it's the point, because we are weak. So that it would be so clear that the power comes from God, the salvation comes from God, not from our strength, not from our power. 
I'll tell you what, next time that you're trying to share Jesus with somebody and you feel utterly ill-equipped for the task, you're just quaking, you think, I'm going to make a complete hash of this, I don't even know what to say, but I'm going to have a crack at it. Next time that happens, remember to thank God. Remember to thank Him, because that's the point. And make sure that you rely all the more on Him. That it's His power and His strength to save. We have everything we need for salvation. God's plan is us. Our weakness is the point. And you know what? As we think about this relying on God, we come to our fourth bit of good news. The God that we pray to, the God that we rely on, is willing and able. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3. It's a couple of books further towards the back of your Bible. You're going to get past 2 Corinthians, you're going to hit Galatians and then Ephesians. Come to Ephesians chapter 3. This absolutely beautiful description of our God that ought to fill us with comfort. Ephesians chapter 3, all the way down to verse 20. This little little doxology, this little word of praise at the end of his long argument. Paul says this, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's one of those verses that I think we just read over, right? It's at the end, it's, it's a nice kind of, yep, me. we put it at the end of our church services sometimes, isn't it lovely? To him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Just let that settle in for a moment. We have a God who is willing and able. His power is beyond what we imagine. His desire to do good is so much grander than even our dreams. Of course he will act for his own glory. Of course, he will do what is necessary to save his people. It's all through the Bible, right? We pick that one just because I like it. God, the God we depend on is powerful and willing. Our weakness ought to drive us all the more to depend on God. Prayer is one expression of it. It's one of the greatest expressions of it, but it shouldn't be the only. It's a little bit too easy to believe Satan's old lie. You don't need God. You can do it. It's a little bit too easy to believe that lie. And it results in all sorts of strife. We believe it when we think we can do it without God and then we beat ourselves up when we fail because we think it depends on me. I, I, I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't powerful enough. I didn't speak the right words. Oh man, I fluffed that one. I missed that opportunity. And all just a goop, goobly goop came out. I, wow, how are they ever going to be saved? Oh, I'm hopeless. No, see right there, you're depending on yourself rather than God. You can see it when we're scared to even try because we're afraid we might fail. If that's you... Please don't believe Satan, because it doesn't depend on you. If you're too scared to even try because I might fail, then what you need to do is go and spend a whole bunch of time on your knees before God, and then go and try. It's his power, not yours. We end up not praying, because we're sure I can do it by myself. The God we pray to is willing and able. No, instead what we ought to do 
He's patiently and prayerfully persevering. And we should, because here's the fifth bit of good news, the God that we pray to is with us. You never, ever, ever evangelise alone. You might feel that way. <laughs> you might feel like you're a lone soldier and there's the armies arrayed before you. It might feel like a very daunting task. Come with me to Matthew 28. We're heading back towards the start of the New Testament. Second last passage, they're both in Matthew. Matthew 28. If you've gotten to Mark, you want to go back just a little bit. Matthew chapter 28, the very last chapter in Matthew. Very familiar passage, right? We, we do this one at church all the time. It's our, our church vision, making disciples, who make disciples of Jesus, kind of comes out of these verses. But I think we often miss one little bit that I want to point out. Here's, here's the good news for today. The God we pray to is with us. Jesus came near, Matthew 28, verse 18. He said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Oh, and just a little throwaway line at the end. Remember, I'm with you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Go, make disciples, but what a promise, he says. The one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who rules everything, I'm with you. <laughs> you do not go alone. I'm there. It is my power. It is my strength. Now, just as an aside, if you're still not convinced that every Christian is an evangelist, that every Christian ought to be a sharer of good news, this verse tells you the truth. Jesus said to his disciples, go and make more disciples and teach them to obey me. What did Jesus teach his disciples? Go and make disciples. So if you've become a disciple, Jesus commands you, go and make disciples. There it is. If you think you can be a Christian and not care about seeing others follow Jesus, then you are not obeying Jesus. It's a scary place to be. The good news, the God we pray to, the Son who has all authority, is with us. And so, and here's my final point. Here is, this just ought to fill us with complete relief. This is God's harvest. Come back to chapter 9 in Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus continued going around all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Now, if you just stop there, you could end up in all sorts of trouble. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. So make sure you have some really good apprenticeship programs. Make sure you're raising up your next leaders. 
Make sure you're working really hard to get your preaching in order, right? You need to do sermon critique of each other every week to make sure you're sharpening your skills, right? You need some MTS trainees coming along behind you. In fact, we need to make sure that we multiply ministry, okay? That you're leading leaders, not... No, verse 38, therefore, what do you do? Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. If you face the lost world and it makes you afraid, remember they are God's. It's his harvest. It's, it's, his, it's his people that he's gathering in. If we look at it and we think there's just not enough workers, then what we need to do is to stop and to pray and say, God, it's your harvest, hurry up, send more workers. Although, can I just suggest that as you pray that prayer, you be a little bit careful. Because there's one worker right there ready to go, right? Please pray to God to send more workers into the harvest and then be part of the answer. Now we're heading into our term two. I hope today has been some comfort and a bit of challenge. It's been some strength to face it. Can I leave you with three kind of go and do's? Let's, let's finish with a bit of practical. What, what, what do you actually want to do as we're heading into this, this term, this season of evangelism? As you seek to do it on your own, as we seek to do it together. I want to ask you to do three things. I want to ask you to prepare. Number one, prepare. I want you to prepare words to take what's in your heart and what's in your mind, to take the gospel that you have believed and prepare how you are going to speak it. If you have never told somebody else what does it mean for you to be a Christian, if you have never told somebody else how you became a Christian or what difference has made in your life, then you need to prepare. Think about those words. In fact, can you go and find a Christian person first and tell them? If you've never done that, please do it. We'd love to be able to just speak the words, but so much often it's easier if we've thought about it. Like any conversation that's serious and big and you kind of play it over in your mind, think about these words. How am I going to share? What does it mean for me to be a follower? How did I become a follower of Jesus? Why am I a follower of Jesus? These are the sorts of words... We need to prepare. If you need help with that, if you have no idea even where to start, come and grab us. We'll take you out for coffee and chat it through. That's all. Ask your question, hear from you, work out these words. Such that when the time comes and you have an opportunity to share, you've created an opportunity to share, it's there. I can tell you these things. I know what they're like in my life. Prepare the words. Prepare some people. It might sound a little bit callous, but think through who are the one or two individuals that this year I want to make an effort with. I say one or two, I think that's enough. You don't have to write a list of the 37 different non-Christians in your life and beat yourself up because you don't do anything about any of them. No, pick one or two that you're going to commit to pray for, that you're going to invite to something, right? That you'd be like actually purposeful. No, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go to so-and-so and I'm going to say to them, hey, would you like to come to whatever it is that you are going to have a conversation about Jesus with? How about committing to that? I want you to prepare. Prepare the words, prepare the people.
Secondly, I want you to pray. Please, please, please pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Pray lots for yourself. Commit yourself to God. Give me words. Give me opportunities. Give me a time to share of Jesus. I want you to pray for individuals. Pray for those people, the one, two people in your life that you're going to know, you know what, this year is the year where I'm, I'm going to have a conversation about Jesus with them. I'm going to invite them to something. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to somehow build this bridge and I'm going to cross it. I've spent 57 years building the bridge. It's time to, right? And pray for church as well. Not just for yourself, but for each other as we go on this mission together. I want you to prepare, I want you to pray, and then I want you to plan an invite. I had to make them three Ps somehow. Plan an invite. Pick one of those events that we're going to run. This isn't much for your sake, it's for the sake of other people, just, just to have that boldness, a moment to do something. Pick one of them, pick the person you're going to invite, and invite them. Invite them soon, so that they can't use the excuse of, oh, no, I've got something else in the calendar already, right? Take the plunge. As we head into God's term, we need to remember we have everything that we need for salvation. God's action plan is us. And our weakness is the point. Because the God we pray to is willing and able. The God we pray to is with us. This is His harvest. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank You that this is the plan You've come up with. And we trust your wisdom, that it is glorious. We feel inadequate, we feel weak, we feel like, man. And yet we trust you, that you have done this for the sake of your glory and the glory of your Son. Father, please, would you give us peace and hope and joy in the gospel the task that lies before us of taking Jesus to the nations, would that be a task that fills us with enthusiasm and delight rather than fear and hesitance? Father, please, this year, would you be kind enough to save many among us? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.